everyone, and welcome to Mental Reality. I'm Dr. Beach, and today we're going to talk about the important topic of dementia, which is a topic of growing concern. For example, in 2016, there were around 5 million cases of Alzheimer's dementia, which is an important type of dementia, and that number is projected to grow drastically to as high as 18 million cases by 2050. And here to talk with me about the important topic of dementia is Dr. Lois Leggett, who I'd like to welcome back to the program. Dr. Leggett is a psychiatrist and is here today to share her family story related to this important topic. Now, before we dive into some more specifics around dementia, I thought that it would be helpful to broadly go over the different phases that you tend to see in dementia. And while there are different types of dementia, in general, there are three discrete phases. In the first phase of dementia, you'd be able to see amyloid deposits in the brain if you could look at the brain, but the individual's cognitive and functioning are still normal. When things progress to the second phase, also referred to as the moderate phase, the person's brain has both plaques as well as what are referred to as spindles, and that's where you'll start to see the beginnings of cognitive decline. Uh, cognitive decline, the most classic would be memory problems and most typically short-term memory problems. For example, a person may forget where they put something, they may forget their phone number or address or lose their keys, but their overall functioning is still preserved. When you move to the third phase of dementia, referred to as the severe phase, that's where you'll see both worsening cognitive or memory problems as well as problems with functioning. So for example, during this phase, a person may be at a point where they're wandering, they may be becoming more paranoid, and they're not able to keep up with their daily functioning. For example, they may have a decline in their personal hygiene, they may have to rely more and more on spouse and caregivers for support, and they will need assistance with things like toileting, bathing, their personal finances, for example. So Dr. Leggett, having covered those three progressive phases, what I thought would be really helpful is if you could take us through your family members as it relates to those phases and the progression over time. Sure, Dr. Beach. So my mother was a head nurse of uh, a large uh, hospital. She retired at 65. And I think around 70, we started to notice changes. Things like she'd, you know, forget names. Uh, she'd mix up our names. She One day she put the ice cream on top of the refrigerator, and we all laughed at her, and, and she became very angry. Um, so there were there were some mood changes, too. But my mom was pretty good at covering things up because she was smart and she was organized. Uh, as things progressed... Uh, I'm just, just going to stop you there. Mm -hmm. So what you've described so far, would you consider that phase two? Phase two, yes. Phase two, okay. Yeah. Um, so as things progressed, she started to feel that people were shining lights into the house. Um, this would happen particularly at night. And she called the police on numerous occasions to have them come because she, she felt someone was, was spying on her. Um, she lost her driver's license. Uh, she started to have severe mood changes. 
uh, so that one time my daughter and I were at the planetarium and we went inside to watch the show and all of a sudden my mother barged in um, screaming, you know, she didn't know where we were, even though she had said that she was going to wait in the, in the car. She used to wander up and down the lanes uh, with, the, with the dog when I offered to get her a, a, a chain to, uh, to wear around her uh, wrist to have her address in case she got lost. You know, she, she became very, very angry. So things had really progressed. So a lot of what you're describing now would fit into she was well into phase three, the more severe phase yeah. of dementia. And my father really covered it up. Uh, so I tried to, to talk to my dad about my mother's declining cognitive functioning, and, and he wouldn't hear anything about it. I mean, and that's quite common that a spouse or caregiver can cover things up. And someone may say, you know, hi, doll, or hi, honey. I mean, and that's kind of basic etiquette. Um, and you don't necessarily realize that they don't actually know your own name. There's right. a lot of things that people with dementia do to cover up their own you know, difficulties. So my mom was used to dealing with people. So she could say, oh, your hair looks nice. And then, then the, if you talk to her further, it would be the same conversation or the same stories uh, over and over again. Right. So e- each person individually wouldn't know. But if you followed her through you know, the different people in her life, you'd see that there's a repetition to it. Mm-hmm. And part of the problem with covering things up is that um, I live in a different city than, than my parents. Um, and my father had a massive heart attack in the middle of the night and, and died. Um, my mother apparently covered him up. Uh, he, she was alone in the house with him for over a week before I was able to clue in to the fact that um, something drastic had happened. Wow, we said uh, covering it up, but you mean literally, physically covering him up. Yeah, he he had been deceased for like a week. A week, yeah. And my mother had deteriorated during that period of time. I'm sure she hadn't eaten, bathed. Um, she had no contact with with anyone else. Wow. So, Doctor Leggett, you mentioned that your mother was first observed to have signs of dementia in her seventies. And then you described kind of the progression over time to kind of deep into the phase three kind of really concerning symptoms and behaviors. What was the timeline of that progression? Uh, I'd say it was around 10 years. And certainly after my father died, there was a drastic deterioration. My mother was in a wheelchair. Uh, She had to be hospitalized. She kept asking where my dad was uh, and then... All of a sudden, she stopped. A- she stopped asking. Right, and we we talked a little bit about the covering up or the denial that so commonly is present with dementia. Mm-hmm. Did that really interfere with any possibility of kind of planning for that inevitability? Well, my father wouldn't even think about a nursing home or any ongoing care. They had wills that were left to each other, so that when they died, my mother was not capable, and we had to use a public trustee. Uh, to secure any funds. So it, it sounds like it turned into kind of an emergency situation. Yes, it did. I buried my, I cremated my father, f- flew my mother uh, to where I was living and had to put her into a hospital where she died three months later. How stressful. Okay, so I know we're going to talk a little later about the causes and some of the treatments for dementia, but one of the things that I know is really scary to people is that people know that dementia tends to run in families and 
having a family member with dementia can't help but scare you know someone else in the family that that dementia could afflict them. And in your case, you've had that experience firsthand, not only with your mother, but now with your sister. Would you be able to tell our listeners a little bit about your experience to date with your sister? So my sister's 70 years old. She is a has a PhD in piano performance and has been a professor at a university for the last 45 years. So over this last year, I've noticed that she didn't send the usual cards. She she didn't answer the phone. She didn't respond to uh, emails. And then just around Christmas, I got a call from the, the faculty uh, dean, and he said that she couldn't perform the Christmas concert. Uh, the, she hadn't been getting her marks in on time. She had difficulties using the computer system and that they were worried about her. She was supposed to come up and visit me at Christmas and phoned a week earlier uh, and said that she thought she had missed the plane, that she was confused. Uh, she then turned up at someone's house in the middle of the night. Um, I, I went down to see her and I opened the door of the house and there were papers absolutely everywhere. Um, most things, I think, dated back until January. So it had been a year where she had not been opening things, not been dealing with things. There were little paste-it notes all over the place reminding her of, of different things. So she had really tried for a year to compensate. Right, and we talked about the cover-up, but it, it sounds like that's quite a decline that, that wasn't noticed by other people. In retrospect, other people started to notice things, but they were too kind to mention them. We didn't want to be intrusive. It's it's none of our business. Right. Like maybe she's just going through a difficult time. Or making up excuses like, well, we had a new computer system, right? Or it's been stressful. I see. So what role do you have, Dr. Leggett, in helping your sister out at this point? My sister never had a significant other. So the basically the role falls to me um, because... My sister is in denial. She'll say that she feels a little confused, but uh, she there is no evidence that she had been bathing, uh, cooking for herself, looking after her finances, or managing her job. So, what are your thoughts about how you're going to go about, you know, helping your sister? Mm-hmm. Well, when I went down, um, I immediately thought that she wasn't safe. Uh, and I either had to get someone in the home to look after her, or I had to put her in a retirement home, uh, which I was able to do the next day. What kind of things did you observe that made you feel that she's not safe to live alone anymore? The groceries in the fridge were months old. There was no evidence of that she had been uh, washing any clothes or bathing. Uh, her hy- Her personal hygiene had deteriorated. She had no idea of of her finances. So all all of that, what you just described, sounds more into the phase three that we discussed earlier. Yeah, I think she'd be between phase two and three. And again, it's very difficult because, you know, I kept saying, well, is she really that bad? Does she really need to go into a retirement home? This is a huge uh, step. Right. And my sister's like probably 10 to 15 years younger than anyone in that home. 
right? So that's a big step going from, you know, your independent living to a nursing home. Correct. It also meant that she is no longer teaching at the university. Right. So what did, what have you decided to do? Uh, at this point, I'm um, going down again to, you know, go through all the, the paperwork in the house uh, to clean the house up and to put the house on the market. One of the things that confirmed that my sister was having cognitive decline was that I took her to the doctor. Her doctor had no idea that she had cognitive decline. And again, I think this is where uh, the physician really needs the collateral information of the family and can't rely on the individual to say that they've got problems. Right, because they're saying they're fine, not describing difficulties. They may even be covering up difficulties. Yeah. So you really need to get that perspective from others who are around 24-7. Absolutely. Um, there's a, a cognitive test called the mini mental status. Um, the average score for someone with my sister's education is 27 out of 30. She scored 11 out of 30. And when she came out of the exam, she said to me, um, oh, you know, I, I forgot a few things. Right. So no, no insight no. into kind of where she was and how much she had declined. Right. So then we had to look at power of attorney and her will. Now, she is not, she had a will. She is not capable of changing her will at this point because she's not capable of understanding or giving consent. Right. Um, we ap- appointed a person who has power of attorney um, who can help her with her finances and make those decisions because she's not competent to do that. So big picture, you've discussed how your mother had severe dementia and ended up dying from it. Your sister now is in at least the early phase three of dementia. I mean, I can't imagine it's never crossed your mind. Am I going to be next? I'm 68 years old. I'm two years off of when my mother and my sister showed cognitive decline. Um, I'm scared shitless. And how are you grappling with that? Or what, if anything, are you doing about it? I'm trying to read everything I can get a hold of, um, looking at the advances that hopefully will be made in detecting uh, dementia early uh, and in treatment. And speaking of those advances, maybe you could highlight some of the things that are are being looked at that might help people understand earlier mm-hmm. if there's you know if they're going to end up having dementia. So the first thing is medication. Um, there are several different types of medication on the market. They work for a period of time, and then they stop working due to the, um, to due to the disease. Okay. Um, so there are always, of course, uh, new medications being uh, developed. One of the uh, theories is if we can have a medication that can attach to the plaque and explode it. Okay. There are also many different ways that people say will help with the dementia, uh, decline, such as uh, exercising at least 30 minutes a day, doing brain games, um, l- learning a new language, learning an instrument, uh, looking after your uh, mental and physical health. So that's very helpful. Some things that people can do or consider. Now, you mentioned some of the advances and that dementia, there is that phase one where the brain's being affected, but you actually don't know that you're going to have memory or cognitive and functional decline to come. Is there any 
advances where someone could have that information in advance and do anything before they start to have the cognitive or functional declines associated with dementia? Yeah, on a research basis, you can find an increase in these spindles and a decrease in the plaques in the spinal fluid. Also, functional PET scan or MRI of your brain shows a deterioration of your brain and enlargement of the uh, ventricles. But these are all on a research basis. Okay, and so let's say you were to, let's say someone wanted to have that information in advance. I'm, I'm assuming, you know, some people may want to know, some people may not want to know, but an advantage potentially of knowing would be that you'd have some you'd have some more time to engage in the kind of inevitable planning that's required with yeah. dementia. And I think, you know, we can refer to the, the movie Still Alice, right? Where you can start to prepare your family and also make sure that all your uh, finances and uh, will, et cetera, are, are in order. Now, I know we didn't talk a lot about the causes of dementia because there are many different types, and you've mentioned some of the different treatments, but oftentimes it's a mixed picture where someone may have Alzheimer's, but they could also have with Alzheimer's, you know, a type of dementia called vascular, which is kind of like having a stroke in the brain. Um, And some of the risk factors that people can try to address to prevent that are similar to like a heart attack, like trying to keep their blood sugar, um, their cholesterol, and uh, not having hypertension as an example of some modifiable risk factors that people could could address earlier in life. Uh, the same kind of risk factors that could increase the risk of cardiac disease can also increase the risk of dementia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, again, it's hard to differentiate normal aging from the beginnings of dementia. Uh, there's also dementia with uh, a Parkinson's disease, um, certain developmental issues like uh Down syndrome have an increased risk of developing um, dementia. Right, and some of the the plaques that you see in Alzheimer's dementia are very similar to the plaques in the brain that people who develop Down syndrome or are born with Down syndrome also have. Right. I mean, it's more obviously of an accelerated uh, process with Down syndrome than dementia, Mm -hmm. which tends to occur, you know, at least in mid to later life. So we've covered some of the possible treatments and potential research advantages, but overall, I'm still left feeling like these progressive severe dementias inevitably leave someone in a really bad situation and not able to function. And often, you know, death is inevitable. I mean, I know one of the areas that you also specialize in is MAID or medical assistance in dying, which is legal in some countries and in some states in America. So, Dr. Leggett, I can't help but ask, if you were to develop dementia like your mother and sister have, would you ever consider MAID? Absolutely. However, right now, the criteria for MAID are that you have a, a terminal illness and that you're, having, and that you're suffering. Um, you, you also have to be competent and capable at the time of administering MAID. Dementia would preclude that. Meaning like at the time of dying, the person with dementia wouldn't be in a position to consent or be capable to authorize MAID. Right. So there are all kinds of controversies around this. They are looking at whether you can proactively consent uh, to MAID when you get to a certain stage in dementia. 
And so right now, the focus in MAID has been mainly on chronic physical conditions where they're suffering, but where your cognition and capacity, you know, hasn't, hasn't been affected. Right. So things like ALS, MS, terminal cancers. Okay. And just for our listeners, ALS or amyotropic lateral sclerosis or Lou Gehrig's disease, um, MS or multiple sclerosis are examples. And then, of course, chronic medical conditions like could be chronic heart disease, lung disease, kidney disease, for example. I mean, it also, I mean, we're talking about dementia now, but another very controversial area, of course, is chronic mental illnesses where the, the mind is affected. Right. And right now with MAID, if you only have a chronic mental illness, you do not meet the criteria for MAID. Right. And I, and I know that's also something that's being, you know, hotly debated right. along with topics like dementia. I mean, I think it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways. Dementia of all disorders certainly doesn't exist in a vacuum, and it's very obvious how it impacts others like caregivers and family members and the burden that it places on, on those people. Wondering, Dr. Leggett, given how you've been so intimately involved in your family, what advice you'd have for people who are in that caregiver position and what supports they might be able to access? Well, the first thing is self-care, because if you're not well, you can't look after someone else. Right, and there's such a risk of burnout. Absolutely. So what types of things do you recommend for self-care? That you reach out to other people for help and support, um, that you really develop some kind of social network so that you can get to the gym and you can do some things and have time uh, for yourself. You have to make sure that the home is safe, Um, because people with dementia will turn on a stove and not turn it off. Uh, They may trip and fall. So having a a child-safe home, because really people with dementia are like, they're like children. Uh, You have to feed them, bathe them, and and make sure that they're safe. Right, that's a good analogy. They've regressed to the point that they're more akin to children in many regards. Right, even as far as uh, using diapers, the other thing is that there are different support groups available in the community, the, the largest one probably being the Alzheimer's Society. Looking at respite care, so many facilities have uh, treatment areas where a relative can stay for a week or so while you get a break. Looking at progressive care, that you may not be able to, to keep your loved one at home uh, and that they may need to go into a retirement home uh, with uh, progressive care uh, abilities. Right, which could or may or may not end up in a nursing home, right. ultimately. These things are, are very expensive. Right, and very difficult decisions because, I mean, it's, it would be the norm that the person's not, not interested or not willing to go mm-hmm. voluntarily. Or you keep asking yourself, are they that unwell that I need to put them into a home? Right, it tugs on your own heartstrings and guilt mm-hmm. as well. Private care is also not affordable and not readily available. So uh, luckily the governments are looking at giving people, um, I'll call it parental care leave, like maternity leave, uh, so that a family member can take time off of work, be paid to look after their loved ones. Right, and that's really encouraging to hear that we are making some advances and we're, you know, we're grasping the realities that hiring private staff and placing people in very expensive homes is just not 
affordable for the vast majority of people. Yeah. It's also more confusing for the individual to go to another home. They know their own home. They're, they're safe uh, and they're not as confused in their own home. Well, Dr. Leggett, I can't thank you enough for agreeing to be back on the program to talk about the important topic of dementia. You really not only covered kind of the progression of the disease, but also gave us very good examples in your own family, as well as concerns that you naturally would have. So I really want to thank you for your your openness and honesty. And please stay tuned to the next episode of Mental Reality with Dr. Beach. (laughs) 